Hey people, welcome to the Perilous Pauline podcast number three. Um, my podcast so far have been of the musical variety, and this particular podcast is going to be in the category, anything else I feel like talking about, which I really feel like talking about and I have felt like talking about for a long, long time. So this particular topic is very close to my heart and uh, I wanted to share all of this with you. So just a little history. Way back in the day when I was singing a lot in Pauline and the Perils and other bands, I was going to school and uh, I was going to school. My bachelor's is in community mental health, but my master's is in special education because I've always and forever had a place in my heart for kids with special needs. I've always felt that they have the right to be who they are. They have the right to be different and we need to love and accept them as well as everybody else in the world. And I still feel that way. Um, so anyways, I was singing, working, and the bulk of my work actually has been in the field of special education and early intervention, which is birth to three kids and their families. So essentially, I would take the skills that I had learned and go into people's homes and help families to help their kiddos uh, learn better. And Wonderful, amazing, wild experiences there. Um, I personally believe that God was preparing my heart for something in the future. And sometimes we feel like things are just kind of randomly happening to us. And then in retrospect, realize, nope, not random. They were meant to be. And this particular career totally was meant to be for me. Because after working in the field for about 15 years, I actually had a child with a severe uh, disability, and in fact, terminal. And so I essentially forgot everything I ever knew about early intervention and being a special education teacher and was thrust into the world of being a parent. So uh, she had a miraculous life, and I will maybe talk about that someday. But one of the things that became really clear to me is that I became one of the silently suffering people in our community. So these are families of kids with disabilities that where their, dis, their kids' disabilities prohibit them from really participating in life as we know it. So Sophia had medical, she was medically fragile. So she had to have like oxygen and equipment wherever she went. Um, and there are kids, you know, with, developmental disabilities such as, you know, being on the autism spectrum where they may not have uh, equipment that they need to go places, but the behaviors they need to go places are not yet learned and certainly not tolerated by um, our society in general. So I wanted to do this podcast to check in with uh, Western New York, Buffalo area today in 2021 to see where we are at with our kiddos with helping these families with uh, maybe exposing some light 
on some situations that were previously in the darkness. And um, yeah, so just to give everybody a voice and how can we help them? So enjoy this and I look forward to hearing from you. This episode is sponsored by Electric Owlworks slash EOW. EOW is the home of Electric Owlworks Recording Studio, Rachel's Owl Music Publishing Company, and the EOW Indie Label. Take your auto recording, mixing, and mastering to the next level. Create and discover with Electric Owlworks. Well, hello, ladies. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing good. I have Jamie Swanson, uh, mother of three, and Gloria Tilly, mother of four, to talk to us today. Uh, and we're going to talk about all of their experiences with special needs. And so I would like to, Jamie, talk to you first. And really, I'd like kind of to, a window into what it's been like for you in the beginning, sort of. Uh, maybe something that you've experienced going through being a family, a special family with special needs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, we can talk about today and sort of what you're doing today. Okay. So when, when Ryan was diagnosed at 25 months old, I was in fight mode. I thought that with diet, with some changes and in, in introducing therapy, that we would see some great strides in our journey of autism. And then shortly after Dylan was diagnosed. And so now I had two boys with autism and what that all included was being in the mode of just continue to fight and research and learn and try to expand our horizons on different things we've never heard before. But it got very lonely. It got very isolating it got, um, you lost people in your life. There's people that you thought you, you know, you couldn't lose. I remember you telling me that we were going to lose people. And we, th- I remember thinking, oh, that's not going to happen to us. Like who? Friends and family. Friends and family. And I thought that wouldn't happen to us, but it did. And so it got more isolating and more alone. And I thankfully had Gloria as a trailblazer ahead of me to kind of let me know, okay, well, when they turn seven, this is what's going to happen. And when they turn this age, this is where you're going to be. And, you know, she was right. She was right at, you know, at seven, at age seven, you realize this is my life. This This is our journey. This isn't like something that we're going to overcome. This isn't something that we're going to defeat. This is a journey that is forever. Mm-hmm. And I used to say, and I can still say this sometimes, that my hopes and dreams have stopped. But when we have good days, I feel like my hopes and dreams have not stopped. They have been altered. And that's when I am more balanced in my my views of our journey and to learn to find your tribe, to find your people that yeah. live and get it and understand. And that's so important. You know, that's, I mean, oh boy, if you have a tribe, if you find your people and Gloria was, uh, you know, such a great support and continues to be for you and for a lot of people. Um, when you find that you, you just get that you're not alone and there's other people that get it. Well, and the other thing, Pauline, is that now we're living in, the moment versus chasing that 
therapy, that, that thing that might help our kids recover or get closer to recovery, you get to a certain point and you just look at today and today I did good enough and we did good enough. And I'm not thinking about the cure anymore. I just want him happy and healthy. Yeah. Like any other kid, really. Well, I I, I will say this because we have, we have post-traumatic stress disorder from our children and from instances that have happened. And then there's times where you say, well, I'm going to try again. We're going to try this again because, you know, last time it was it was a disaster. So the whole time you're having you're in this moment, you're actually having like post-traumatic stress of what could happen, what may happen and what do I do if it does happen? And you end up having a really good day. And but you still can't stop thinking about those other moments that were the nightmares and you try to do better and to still be able to put fun on the calendar and do out of the ordinary fun, but it's so much easier just to stay home. I'm a big believer that home is neutral territory. Mm -hmm. So it's free from stairs. It's free from comments. And I think when we go out into the community is when we realize how different our lives are and how lonely it is. And so a lot of times for us with our post-traumatic stress, we don't want to leave our safe, our safe walls. No, Cause it's like having a poster on you saying, stare at us. Right. Right. And th- you, you go through these cycles where I remember the first time someone made a comment, I cried. And then I'm now at the point where I'm like, say something, please say something. So yeah. I tell you, how ignorant you are that my child is special, you know? So you go through these seasons and then you go back to the crying and it's just, it's this journey that you you're going through these seasons. That's why it was so, I was so blessed to have Gloria say, okay, at age seven, you're going to realize that this is your life and that there's a type of settling that goes on. I'm like, Nope, I'm, 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 (laughs) I'm going to fight. And she's like, no, that's not how it's going to be. And then I would say to her, you are so right. I could, I can now watch rain man and I can laugh. I thought I could never watch that movie. (laughs) And And so you learn to try to find the people that inspire you and I think we've learned, even I know we don't want to go into Bountiful Loafs, but that is a healing process for us in our journey where if we can touch one life, if we can help one person to realize that they're not alone. Because when Gloria and I, when we had our kids, I mean, my goodness, she had kids before me. But even when my kids were diagnosed, there wasn't all these wonderful programs that were out in the community. So we don't want anybody to feel isolated and alone and abandoned. And that's a really important word because we did feel abandoned and we still do. We still feel that abandonment. And the hard part is, is the friends you make on this journey. Are your friends and your family. They they turn into family. Well, they're your friends and family, but they're, they're like treading water too. So you know that they can't drop everything and run to you a lot because there's treading water. And so- that you know that when another specialty mom comes to the rescue, you know that you know more that that's a more of a sacrifice than you can really even claim, you can really put into words. Right. right. Struggling also. And so, you know, so you have common ground and you, you don't, you don't really have to explain to them 
why you happen to be maybe losing your mind that day or why you're sad that day or, you know, or whatever. Um, and that's, that's very huge. Gloria, I'm just going to ask you quickly. I yeah. know that you've gone through some insanity with your kids. Can you just tell us a little bit about your, your kids? So I have twin boys. Um, they have a sister that's two years older and a sister that's two years younger. The boys are turning 25. One has Down syndrome and he's a rock star. And mm-hmm. his twin, he has autism and a chromosomal disorder. And we went through some really horrible behaviors. And, you know, it happened to be summertime. And my husband's like, you can't go anywhere because you've got bruises all over your arms. You've got bruises on your face. And so you don't go anywhere because anybody's going to think my husband beats me. Yeah. Um, and you don't have anybody to talk to because, you know, I don't want to talk to Jamie about it because how old is Ryan? 13? Yeah. He'll be 14. Right. So, so do I want to tell her what was happening to me when Justin was 17? Because that's four years away for Jamie and I don't want to scare the tar out of her. Right. Um, so the only people that I had to talk to, I fortunately had a friend who had two boys that also had massive behavior problems. And she was my lifeline when I had to drop Justin off at ECMC CPEP because we couldn't do it. It was, I don't even know, six months or a year of sleeping an hour or two at a time and, and, you know, waking up all hours of the night, my husband and I, I don't know how we made it through, but we did. But it was time that there was nothing any of the doctors were doing. And mm. the county wasn't helping us. The state wasn't helping us. And so I had to leave my son at the hospital. And fortunately, I had a, a worker with him. But um, that was the most excruciating 13 days in a power struggle to get him the services that he needed. Wow. And he still didn't get the services for almost six months, but it got him priority one on a waiting list for a group home. And the only way he got in the group home was because someone passed away and there was an opening here in Western New York. And there was 200 people on the emergency waiting list and Justin got in. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's, it's so extreme, but that's what you have to do. You have to live in the extreme sometimes. And- well, right. And that paired up with, so when he moved to the group home, it was his 21st birthday. He didn't know he was moving because mm-hmm. we weren't going to get beat up for saying anything. Like we were walking on eggshells. And so that day we had the police who knew us well because they escorted us many times from wherever he was having behaviors on the bus the police were kind enough to come and drive him to his school. And my husband and I followed him and, you know, it was a big party. He, my Justin loves the police and uh, (laughs) we got him to school. And then we went over to his house and dropped off his stuff. And I don't know if it was a month or two months till we got to finally see him and talk to him, but it was horrible. Yeah. What are you doing now? About, oh, about three years ago, Daryl and I um, were really preying on serving in the everyday struggles. There's wonderful programs that have 
came up since, you know, we joined this community, so to speak. But there was nothing that was really helping in the everyday. And there was, like I said, there's wonderful programs that help you maybe once or twice a year. But these families, they're struggling the day in the day and in, day and out. I mean, it's it's a struggle. And so we prayed on it. And Bountiful Loaves and Fishes Love Ministry just came to be. And we've been doing it for about three years, well, over three years. And we started off with like kind of like having a food pantry out of our own house. And then we've had a couple places. And now we're in Lakeview, New York, doing distributions there. Um, with COVID, we're not doing as many events. We're ready to get back to doing more of our events. And what our events are is we have mom events, dad events, couple events, and then we do family events. And the family events are really important because it's a place where the kid can check their disability at the door. They're just loved for who they are. Mm-hmm. And the kids really know the difference. And it, it's a very special moment when we do our events. And we started doing retreats and free haircutting events and, you know, free photo photography sessions for families to get that done. Uh, so we just keep, it just, we keep escalating and we keep uh, doing new chapters to the ministry. Like the birthday. Like we're doing the birthday club where the caretakers get a card in the mail and they get a $5 gift certificate to Tim Hortons. <laughs> That's awesome. It's just a little reminder that we see you you are valued and you are enough. And that's our mission statement is you are seen, you are valued, and you are enough. So now we get to hear from Daryl and Jamie Swanson's son, Dylan, about his fish tank and his guppies. My guppies. Um, you have guppies? I got all my goldfish died, and then one of our friends, I think they might have got it for from a creek bed. I don't know for sure. Mm-hmm. And um, they gave them to me with some decorations for my tank, and all my fish died in my tank, and I was I've been wanting to get fish, and she gave me guppies. Cool. Well, that's awesome. Well, you enjoy your guppies, okay? Yeah. All right. Well, thanks for talking. Maybe we can talk again soon, okay? Yeah. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you. Well, hello, Joanne Shannon Duke. Hi, Pauline. (laughs) How are you? I'm doing well today. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So just to let everybody know, Joanne uh, is a longtime friend of mine, but she's also a very long time and experienced occupational therapist and a parent. And so I thought it would be wonderful to interview her for a few minutes today about some of her experiences in working with families with special needs and also um, maybe some words of wisdom or suggestions. So before we get into that, Joanne, can you just explain a little bit about your experience in the field and then as a parent? Sure. Um, I became an occupational therapist in 1993 um, after a five-year program at Juvel College in Buffalo, uh, where I earned a bachelor's and master's program. And that was in my 
interest in doing that was because I have had a disabled child who needed such care that I felt that I wanted to share that with other families. And um, I knew that it was not just a job, it would be a career. And if I was coming from a place of passion, I felt like that was the best I could offer families because I saw so many passionate people work with my own daughter. Mm -hmm. So I felt that I could offer to them not only strategies of positioning and equipment and activities to help their child, but I could listen to a parent's heart who was breaking. I remember this mom in particular, she was sobbing and saying, how is my daughter ever going to go to the prom? Who's ever going to ask her to go to the prom? And at the time, her, her little girl was probably two. But as a mom, I understood that. You, you think far down the road, you worry, like, oh my goodness, everything feels so out of control and so broken right now. How could it ever be right? How could it ever, how could this, this child's life be productive and healthy and happy how could that be when when we don't see that in the beginning? And at those times is usually when I'm prompted to share my story about I understand. I understand how it feels. I understand the worries. Um, but it's it's all good because when we get to the heart, we feel it. I feel it right now. I feel the the heart of a mom who's just desperate for an answer. And sometimes the answers are not there that day. But knowing that you're not alone is a huge, is, is huge. Because uh, when my daughter was young, there was not the internet. Um, there were not, there were support groups, but you had to physically go there. You had to, or pick up the phone. And, and, and sometimes you didn't even know what those were. You don't know what you don't know. Right. So those things, um, I feel I was able to bring to a family beyond what my training and my education could, could offer. Right. And so much of it is about creating the space for, for families to able to just be with what is and, um, you know, being supportive by holding that space for them. Right. And just allowing just whatever you're feeling right now is fine. And not only is it fine, but it's normal. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and this too shall pass. It will get better. It will get better. But for right now, I get you. I hear you. I see you. I get where you're at. And I love your child. And you love your child. And that's really the most important thing. Yeah. And so especially when you're connecting with other parents, there's that that judgment factor that goes out the window. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like parents that have kids with special needs, no matter what their needs are, have, you know, they have an experience that sometimes puts them outside of typical groups. But when you connect with another mother, another family, another father, um, you're able to see that, you know what, I really, I'm not the only one. I'm not alone. And just in that connection, I think is really, it's very powerful and very healing. And then from there, you know, like, what do we do from here? And how do we support each other in our, um, you know, in our journeys? 
And right? I, I yeah. agree with you. I totally agree with you. And I think that it, it's such a, it, it's a, a step by baby step process that what we, when you're first faced with the, with the facts, the facts are that I'm not going to predict if your child is ever going to walk or not going to walk. I'm not going to do that. But just the fact that my child is going to need certain certain uh, therapies or certain equipment to get them through life that other children aren't going to have. And it's a slow process of acceptance that this that this is the way it is. And I can't change it, but I can do everything in my power to help them get along in life. And it is such a powerful walk of love with these children and just knowing that we can do everything we are we are are capable of doing in our humanness but we also know that there are limits to what we can do we cannot we cannot disregard the facts of of some of the equipment and some of the limitations that some children are going to have they're beautiful and and the children show us such joy that we've never known before but there is that there are there is reality of some children may not walk some children may need to be fed some children may need care for the rest of their life they may not be able to be independent but we don't know any of that when they're little all we know is that we want to give them the best chance for everything that they're able to do Right. And we don't know. And we really don't know. We know what the statistics say. You know, we know what other people have said, but we really don't know our child's abilities until they get there. Right. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Well, this has been wonderful to connect with you in this way. And um, any more words of wisdom or any you know, anything you would like to leave um, for the parents of kids with special needs at this time? I just say, don't be afraid. It's, it's easy to say that, but just know that you're not alone and really rely on your faith and, and ask for help for people because there's not a chance that one person could do it all. Absolutely. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you so much, Joanne. Small, tiny hands And who knew God had bigger plans For this little baby You flew away before we could Well, hello, Charles Ruth III. Hello, Pauline. <laughs> uh, good to talk to you. How are you doing today? Very well, thank you. Yourself? I'm well. I'm doing well, and I'm so glad to talk to you because you have a really interesting kind of intertwined story about about special needs in your own personal life and also, you know, as an individual and then also as a married person and as a father. So I'd like to actually speak to all three of those things, if possible. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. So let's start with you growing up, something I never knew 
Um, but you actually were blind growing up? Yeah, well, I was fully blind for two years during high school, so I missed most of 10th grade and 11th grade because of blindness. What's interesting, I suppose, is that I was born with kind of a rare disorder, which is uh, congenital cataracts. So I was born with cataracts, which normally is associated with senior citizens or old folks kind of thing, but I was born with them. So my eyesight growing up was always very poor. And then I suffered trauma to each eye, like in ninth grade and 10th grade, I think it was. So I, I got hit in one eye with a football and uh, I got hit in, in the other eye when uh, a guy punched me. Oh. And <laughs> yeah, so the trauma to each eye caused the cataracts to explode. And a cataract, if you don't know, is, a, is when the lens of your eye gets cloudy. So what ended up happening was that these cataracts both exploded. And if you were to see me back then and look into my eyes, you'd see like that classic cataract kind of thing yeah. where it's like yeah. all grayed out. And I couldn't see anything because no light could get through the lenses of my eyes. Wow. The very cool thing is that you have that experience, and this is what we're talking about before, really, I'm sure, shaped the way that you treat, you know, everyone, but, you know, definitely your family, you know, your son. Your yes. Wife. So let's talk about them a little bit. So you met your wife uh, when, and when did you um, find out that she was, uh, she had Asperger's syndrome? So we met back in 1997. We were co-workers and uh, we kind of struck up a friendship. And when I first met her, I was kind of intrigued because I knew she was different. I couldn't place her accent. I couldn't tell where she was from and her personality was different. I knew there was some, that she was unique and interesting and we kept in touch over the years and obviously ended up get, getting married. I think I probably became more aware of, of like Julie's personality years later after I moved back to Buffalo from the Big Apple and we started seeing each other more and hanging out more. And eventually the, you know, romance turned into a marriage and all that stuff. So it was kind of during, say, like the last 15 years or something that I became more aware of, you know, how Julie is. I hesitate to say it in this way, but I, it's totally true that my favorite people in the world are people on the spectrum. And I know that, you know, I have a lot of, you know, people that I love, but there's just something about the ability to um, to zero in on what is and say it and, oh, yeah. and not have to, <laughs> like, there's no, you're not questioning what this person is thinking or, you know, what they mean, because they're going to just tell you. And um, I just think that's wonderful and, and has such great value. But when yeah. You, yeah. So when you, okay. So I know that I haven't had the pleasure of meeting your wife, but I know that she's very bright. Well, and, you did meet her at the town when Pauline and the Perils were playing. Oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Sorry, whoops, whoops. No, but it's okay. Very brief. And I didn't get a chance to like get to know her. Right. Yeah, it was it was too loud. <laughs> yeah, it was too loud, and it probably I would have needed a minute. But um, so I but I understand that you know she has a, a great job, and um, and also you know that she has some kids that are now your kids that are on the spectrum. Yep, and yeah, and it's interesting because one of the you know one of the sort of classic traits of people on the spectrum is uh, they are very literal in how they interpret what they're hearing and also with what they say. So you know, and and that varies, which is why it's a spectrum. 
you know, some people who are on the spectrum, when you're speaking with them, they seem really kind of almost in your face or blunt about things. Right. And it's not like they're alpha personality or they're narcissists or something. They're just being very literal and very blunt. And a lot of that social nuance that non-spectrum people have where they're trying to kind of where they're trying to navigate through etiquette and you know, what they deem as socially acceptable uh, behavior, that is not present to varying extents with people on the spectrum. Once you understand that people on the spectrum are wired that way, and you, uh, you know, it's like, it's like learning a different language. It's like learning French or Spanish or something. You have to understand that people with different languages or people who are on the spectrum, their brains are wired differently, how they formulate thoughts, how they, uh, interpret input coming in is different than how you may do it, right? So once you understand that, people on the spectrum are very interesting to to be around, and you know, you know, it's just different. It's like being around somebody from a different culture or something. His sensory, uh, his sensory sensitivities to certain to like certain textures. His sensory sensitivity to to bright lights and things certain sounds, I think, you know, you just start to kind of see these things more and more often, you know, it's just every day is different and you can never really predict what's going to happen. You kind of might have an idea, but it's been interesting and a challenge. And there's been some real successes that, you know, he's, he's super bright, super talented, and uh, he just graduated from high school. Oh, great. Yeah, so he's been accepted to a bunch of colleges, and he wants to do what he wants to do. So he's he just turned 18 in the beginning of June, uh, graduated from high school a couple weeks later, and he wants to do things his way. And I know there's some reluctance and resistance in his behavior to kind of do the things that the doctors told him to do to you know be more socially acceptable. So he still kind of has this a bit of a sledgehammer approach where he just wants the universe to conform to his view, not like he needs to conform or work how, how the universe is presenting itself to him. So he's like, you know what? I'm 18. I'm going to go to college. He's like, I'm moving out. I'm going to go get an apartment. I'm going to have a job. I'm going to go to college. So he's actually looking at moving into an apartment in Allentown or the Elmwood village, like this summer. And he just graduated from high school, but he's working and actually he's kind of working full time now. So, so he's, he's very ambitious. And the thing is like, he has this singular kind of focus on things when, which is not untypical for people on the spectrum, especially Aspies or HFAs, where when he focuses in on things like his energy and his attention is really laser beam you know, focused on that task or that goal or that thing. So. And how valuable is that? I mean, that's so valuable. Is there anything at all that, uh, that you might want to either say or, or to encourage or to suggest or any, anything at all? Every human being on the planet has some kind of passion and every human being has something that they're probably good at. And the trick is, I think, if you have a child or you are that person, what do you love and what are you good at? Find ways to turn your passion into a productive contribution to, to society. 
right? So either it could be art, it could be any kind of job. I don't care if you're working at a restaurant or if you're writing poetry or doing graphic art or visual art or whatever, whatever your passion is, if you have a kid who seems, you know, who has challenges, really watch that kid and see what they're good at, see where their natural tendencies are taking them, and then find ways to encourage that. And hopefully you can find ways to encourage that into something where as they become young adults and they're thinking about employment and work and life choices and all that stuff, find ways to encourage those people to follow their, their passions and turn them into something that they can do every day. And you know what, Chuck? That is that it would be the same thing that we would want for any of our children.